Well, assuming all hearts are free, we'll turn our minds and our attention and our thoughts to the Lord at this time and to His Word. And uh, I've got several places in Scripture that I want to. I'm going to jump around in this morning, and it's going to seem a little disconjointed. But with the Lord's help, we'll try to tie it all together, and I think we'll be we'll be able to do that. I, I tend to do that, don't I? I? Tend to go to here, or there, and everywhere, and uh, I try to keep your attention. And uh, sometimes we can get a little monotonous and, and mundane, but we try not to do that. We try to always be able to keep the attention so that everyone uh, is uh, is is interested in the message. So I'd like to start this morning uh, from Genesis chapter three, verse fourteen and fifteen. Now, this is not going to be the main crux of. Uh, where we're going to start. We're just going to take a couple verses here and there from the book of Genesis, and then we're going to go to the book of Daniel, and that's where our main scripture reading is going to be this morning. Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly that shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Uh, and so we're going to, that's that's the verses of Scripture that we want to read out of Genesis chapter 3. If we go over to Genesis chapter 12, we're going to look at the first three verses. It says, Now the Lord said, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And then in Genesis chapter 49, in verse 10, and it says that the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And having read that, now we would like to run to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, verses 36, beginning in verses 36, and we'll read down to the 34th verse. Now this is the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Uh, starting in verse 36, it says, This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given into thine hand, and he hath made, and hath made thee a ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. In the description of the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had seen in his dream, which had a head of gold, which represented Nebuchadnezzar and the kingdom of Babylon. Uh, and so we continue on here. And he says, And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and a third kingdom of brass, which which shall uh, which shall bear rule over all the earth? Uh, that would be the Medes and the Persians uh, is that second kingdom, uh, and then that kingdom of brass would have been the Greek Empire. And so we continue on. It says, "In the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron." Well, which one followed the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire? Uh, 
And so this, uh, he continues on, he says, And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron, uh, and as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and the toes, part of the potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Uh, but there shall be in it the strength of iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron uh, and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. Whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with, with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. In these days, in these days, kings, sorry, and in these days, or in, in, in the days of these kings, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to another, to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. And that's with the flaws that we made. Uh, we just read Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 36, down through verses 44. Every once in a while we get tongue-tied. And, uh, and that just happens whenever you're, pub you're speaking publicly. But uh, as, we, as we study here, there's a, a general theme that we have with these verses of Scripture that we have read this morning. And I'd like to take for a title this morning, The King of Kings. Uh, because as we read in here, when Daniel is addressing uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he says that the Lord God of heaven has made you a king of kings. Thou art a king of kings, right? I Meaning of all the kings in the earth, thou art a king of all the kings of the earth. Uh, and But we look here uh, for just a little while, and we're going to go back and we're going to uh, look at together some of the things that we went over. First off, we started at the fall, didn't we? Where man had fallen. And here God looks at the serpent who had deceived Eve and, the, and Satan who had possessed that servant, uh, or that serpent, uh, because he's, this, this punishment is not just to the one, it's to both of them. It's to the serpent and to Satan. Uh, and, uh, and he addresses both of them, doesn't he? Uh, and he says that, Cursed you are above all the cattle and above all the beasts of the field, and upon thy belly thou shalt go. You're going to be abased, and you're never going to be able to rise up. We tend to think of Satan as some great warrior, don't we? <laughs> Satan is nobody. <laughs> Satan thinks he's a somebody, but he's really a nobody. He's a, he's a nobody who wants to be a somebody, but he doesn't have the power in and of himself to be that. And so all he has is railing accusations uh, to bring before people. And that's what he does. He's a liar, he's a murderer, and he's he brings railing accusations of the children of God every day before God. And so we see here uh, that uh, God says, you're never going to rise up above that. Uh, you're going to go upon the belly of your earth, uh, of, of you're going to go upon your belly and you'll eat the dust of the earth all the days of your life. And then he says this, and then God gets into the gospel, doesn't he? And he starts preaching the gospel here in the Garden of Eden and he looks at Satan and he says, and I'll put enmity between the woman and between thy seed, between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. Um, and it... Now that really should be said, that really should be translated as he, right? He 
shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. In other words, he's going to destroy you, and you're only going to hurt him a little bit in return. He's going to crush your head. And you may do a little bit of damage to his heel, but you're going to be utterly defeated. And that's how that's the state that Satan lies in today. And we're going to touch on that here in just a minute. But here we see this, this preached by God here in the Garden of Eden. Uh, and then he says to Abraham, we go into Abraham now, and, and we're just going to touch on the part where he says about Abraham. He says, and I will bless them that bless thee. And who is it that they're blessing when they talk about Abraham? They're blessing the God of Abraham, aren't they? God, Abraham, who was raised in darkness, uh, he was raised in, uh, in the religion of idolatry, uh, and he believed God, uh, and he, God called him forth out of Ur of the Chaldees, and when he went forth, uh, he went forth seeking a city, not even knowing where he's going, didn't he? We don't even like to leave the house unless we know where we're going. And we want to know every turn along the way nowadays, don't we? We punch it into our phone and we want to make sure we want to check the traffic. Abraham left his home. He left his family behind and he went off seeking a country whose builder and a city whose builder and maker was God. And so here God says, He says, I'll bless them that bless thee, and I'll curse them that curse thee. And it's not just Abraham they're cursing, but they're cursing the God of Abraham, aren't they? Who was set at variance between the rest of the gods that were worshipped in the world at that time. And then we get to the part about the king. Because God established a nation, didn't He? He established a nation on the earth. They were the descendants of Abraham. Of course, here He's referenced as Abram. They were the descendants of Abraham. They were called Israel uh, after his uh, uh, after his grandson Jacob was uh, renamed Israel by God. The nation was called Israel, and one of the one of the original tribes, one of the original thirteen tribes. And you usually only hear it mentioned that there's 12 tribes. There was 13 tribes. Because one, there was one tribe that didn't have a land inheritance, and that was the Levites. There were 12 tribes that had a land inheritance. And of those 12 tribes that had a land inheritance, there's only one of those tribes that he says specifically, you will continue to exist as a, a sovereign nation until the day that the Messiah is born into the world. And to that end, uh, we read the blessing that was given to Judah uh, in the 49th uh, chapter or 49th chapter of Genesis in the 10th verse. And the scepter shall not apart from Judah. And what is a scepter except the symbol of the kingship of the country, isn't it? The king is the one who holds the scepter. Now if we go back and we look just a few months back, now I don't think it's a few months yet. Maybe it's a few months. In England, it was the queen that held the scepter. What? She was the head of the state. She was the head of all principality. She was the sovereign of the state. That's who the king is. All power lies within him. He is the lawgiver. He is the judge. He is the one who renders judgment. And so the scepter represents all of that. And all of that's bottled up into the king. And, uh, and so here he says that the scepter will not depart from Judah. 
And now we know this, don't we? We know that they were not a monarchy for the entirety of their existence. They were a monarchy original. Well, they were a theocracy originally, and then they rejected the theocracy, and God allowed a monarchy to be established in Israel. And Saul was the first king, but David was the first king after God's own heart. And that nation split, didn't it? You know, one of, one of those nations ceased to exist and one of them continued to exist up until the day of Christ. Israel ceased to be, didn't they? They ceased to be with the Assyrian, uh, when, when the Assyrians came in and carried them into captivity and then it was finished when the Babylonians came. And Israel ceased to exist as a sovereign nation. But Judah continued to exist, albeit in a, in a, in a lesser state than that. It, it became a governorship, didn't it? And that's why it says that, that here in the 10th verse, it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver, which that really means a governor, or somebody lower than the king, but still with the ability to pass laws. And a lawgiver from between his feet until... Shiloh come. And so that's where we see that the kingship of Christ established. And Daniel gets into this. Daniel gets into this. And he starts talking about, and we're not going to go through the whole, we're going to, we're going to focus on uh, two verses here in Daniel. Actually, we're going to focus on one verse in Daniel, the 44th verse. And it says, and it's the one that I tripped over the most, in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. which shall never be destroyed. The world is emulating or trying their best to emulate this kingdom today because this kingdom that God's going to set up is a kingdom without borders. And you can look in the world today and that's one thing that the world is trying to do is establish a kingdom without borders, aren't they? God already did it. He already did it. Jesus touched on this in John chapter 18, verse 36, when he was asked about his kingdom, he said, my kingdom is not of this world, meaning of this present world. It's of something else. Uh, it's, uh, it's not this temporal thing that you're looking at. It's a spiritual kingdom. Uh, and, uh, and we'll go over and touch on that. He said, if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight and I would be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. And in the days of these kings, God would set up, the God of heaven would set up a kingdom which would never be destroyed. To that end, we take a verse of scripture that's oftentimes used, but oftentimes misquoted, and we go into Matthew again in chapter 16, and we look in verses 17 to 19, and we're not going to read all of it, but this is where Jesus has asked the question of the disciples, who do you say that I am, or whom say ye that I am? And the disciples look at him, and they give them the answer. And of course, Peter's the one who responds, because Peter is the one who's always the most impetuous, and always the one that's the most bold, 
old. And so he's the one that always speaks up on behalf of the twelve. He's not speaking on his own part. He's speaking for all of the apostles. When he says this, he says that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him and says, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven hath revealed this unto thee. And then he goes on to this, and he touches on the kingdom, and he says, And I say this, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. And this is the misinterpretation that often takes place, one of them, that takes place with this. He says that thou art Peter, and that it is upon this rock that I will build my church, which the Greek word used there is ekklesia, which means what? It means an assembly or a called out congregation. It's a called out group of people, isn't it? And if you're a member of the Lord church today. You've been called out of darkness into light if you've been saved, uh, and then you've also been called out of this world, aren't you? To make a profession of faith that God has saved your soul, and that's what baptism really embodies is an open profession, outward profession of the faith that you have been granted by God. And so we see here that he says, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail upon it, uh, or prevail against it, I should say. And there's the other part of this. The first part that often gets uh, misinterpreted is that Peter is the rock upon which the church is founded, and he absolutely is not. The rock that the church is founded upon is the same rock that destroyed the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. As we go back over and we read in Daniel chapter Chapter 2, God would have a rock that would break this in pieces. And you say, well, we didn't read that in Daniel chapter 2. And we didn't. Daniel still prophesied it, though. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man with the clouds of, uh, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and, and came to the Ancient of Days. Uh, and they brought him near before him, and there was given him dominion and power, uh, dominion and glory and a kingdom that all, that all people, nations, languages should serve him. Don't you see this kingdom that established has no borders does it because what's one of the key indicators that sets the boundaries and borders of a nation but language in france they speak french don't they in england they speak english in china they speak chinese language was one of the key separators of the human of, of humanity And we see that get separated by God, don't we? When? At the Tower of Babel. But here, this kingdom that was going to be established was going to be a kingdom which was made up of all people. You see, the gospel's not preached to a select few that God preordained in eternity that they would be saved and that some others would be damned. God's, God's will is that all would be saved, that all would come to the knowledge of truth, that all would recognize who the true king is. And it's all people, it's going to be in all nations, and it's to every language. And that's what we see at the day of Pentecost, isn't it? That there are people there of every every language on earth. And what did they hear? They heard the gospel preached in their native tongue or their native language. And so we look here.
And it says that His dominion is an everlasting dominion. It will not fade away. But it was a rock that was going to be hewn. And, and, and there was a rock that was going to be hewn, and that rock was going to destroy all those others. And this rock is not a rock which is used. It's in Daniel chapter 2, verse 34. I knew it was in there. Uh, I, just, I just started before it or after it. Uh, thou sawest, uh, we read here in Daniel chapter 2, verse 34, Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands. That's very important. You say, well, why is it very important that that, that stone is cut out without hands? Because if it's going to be for the atoning of sacrifice or for the atonement of sins, if it's going to be an altar of uh, upon which a sacrifice is going to be made uh, for the atonement of sins, or rather, uh, then it has to be a stone that is not hewn by the hands of man, doesn't it? That's the requirement. Uh, you say, well, geez, where where do you get that? Exodus chapter twenty, and we always focus on the beginning of Exodus chapter twenty. Uh, and in Exodus chapter 20, that's where the law is given. Uh, and that's usually the part of that chapter that we usually give the most attention to. But I would actually contend that in Exodus chapter 20, that it's the end of the chapter uh, that is actually the most important. As we go over here, Exodus chapter 20, uh, and we're going to go down to the 24th verse. And he says this, and sorry, in the 25th verse, And if thou... Well, make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone. Why not? What's hewn stone mean? It means it's a, a stone that's been cut out by man's devices, right? He's lifted up the tool and he's used the tool to carve out this stone. Uh, and why does God say that? He says, for if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. It has to be an offering that God, it has to be an offering upon something that God has established and not man. And uh, And so we look here. And we go back. And uh, we're going to try to finish up here in a few minutes. And so we see this kingdom and this king that is established, that Daniel's talking about, which is this rock which will break the statue that, uh, that has been fashioned. And we see that breaking happen, uh, happening down here in the 45th verse of the second chapter of Daniel. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron and the brass and the clay and the silver and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof is sure. It's settled in heaven, isn't it? It's settled in heaven. God has established and decreed and ordained that Christ would come into the world and the kingdoms that are represented by that, uh, the kingdoms that are represented by that statue, that they would crumble before the Lord, wouldn't they? And you say, well, I don't know that we necessarily see that that happened in, script, in history. Well, all you have to do is go and read the writings of Napoleon Bonaparte. And I can't remember if it was the first exile or the second exile of Napoleon Bonaparte, but upon one of those instances when he was exiled from France, uh, he made a startling revelation, didn't he, about the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He said, here you have a kingdom which conquered all the nations of the world and never lifted up a sword. And now I'm paraphrasing his statement here. But he said, here you have a kingdom which conquered all of the other kingdoms. And you know how he did it? He did it with letters, didn't he? 
He did it with letters. Paul, writing from a Roman prison, conquered all of those kingdoms with the Word of God. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, isn't it? Dividing uh, and piercing to the asunder the soul and the spirit, dividing the joints and the marrow, laying, laying people bare before God. Where's your, where do you stand before God? Where do you stand before the king who picked up the scepter and established his kingdom? And I'm thankful to say that we're a part of that kingdom and we are a visible representation of that kingdom because the church is a visible body of baptized believers in this world. A lot of people believe in the invisible church. Well, I think Satan loves the idea of an invisible church. We studied this morning that the church ought not be invisible, didn't we? What did God say? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Boy, God wants to be seen in the world today, doesn't He? And God and Satan has convinced us that what we ought to do is just stay hidden away from the rest of the world. But God said, don't put your light under a bushel that it may be hidden. Put it on a candlestick that everybody in the house will have light. And Paul wrote this, and I'm going to close with this. Paul wrote this about the king of that kingdom. And that's who we worship, isn't it? We worship the king of that kingdom, which is Jesus Christ, who was humbly born, wasn't he, into the world. Here you have the king of kings and the Lord of lords, which Paul calls him. 1 Timothy chapter chapter 6, verses 14 and 16. And he charges Timothy with this. He says, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate. What does that mean? He is the sovereign, isn't he? He is the ruler of everything that goes on. He is the sovereign, the blessed and the only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto. Not even Moses could approach unto it, could he? Uh, Moses said, let me see you. And he said, no man can look on me and live, but I'll cover your eyes and pass by, and you can look on... My, on, on my back and on my backside. And even just that caused Moses' face to shine to such a degree that it scared the children of Israel that they, called, that they had him to veil his face, didn't he? And so we read here that he says, uh, which is the light which no man can approacheth unto, not of their own power. No man can come unto me unless the Father draw him. Zacchaeus tried to approach that light, didn't he? Zacchaeus tried to approach that light one night, and he asked him a question, and the Lord looked at him and he said, Except thou be born again, thou cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's what's required, isn't it? You have to experience the new birth if you're going to be a member and a part of the kingdom of God. And, and so we see here, he says he is the blessed and the only potentate. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, whom no man hath seen, which is true in his glory. Of course, we know that we've seen him 
when he left his glory in heaven. Whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. And I just want to touch on this, given the time of the year it is. We see Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, described in the book of Revelation with eyes like uh, the fire of a furnace. Uh, and, uh, and, and all of the descriptions that's listed there. And then we see how he's manifested into the world, don't we? Mary brought forth her only, her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Well, if you can't see the humility of Jesus Christ in His birth, it's going to be hard to see the glory of His kingship. He left it all in heaven. And then there on the top of the Mount of Olives, in such agony that His sweat became His great drops of blood, He prayed that the glory that He had before He was born into the world would be restored unto him. And not to him only, but he would share it with those that would take part in his kingdom, wouldn't he? That is, that is, a, that is a, a tremendous image that we see of Jesus. You know, the shepherds that were in the field, they saw some of the glory of God, didn't they? At his birth. Here's Jesus born without the glory. He's absent the glory, but the shepherds saw some of the glory of God that night. And the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Well, that tell you what, they knew what was going on, didn't they? They knew what was going on because the same way that Paul knew what was going on on the Damascus Road when the glory of the Lord shone right about him and he fell before God, didn't he? You know what it says? They were sore afraid. You know what? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God, isn't it? And you know, that's where each person has to first get to. We all have to know that fear of the Lord because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, isn't it? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, isn't it? If we're going to know the Lord, we first have to know that He is greater than we are. That all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but there's one who lived in this world who never knew sin, and they killed him anyway. They killed him anyway. They killed the Lord of Lord. They killed the King of Kings. They killed the blessed and the only potentate. They killed the one who was born poor, lying in a manger, that they might that they might salvage their own power and authority, which they had none of. Because Satan has no power and authority, does he? God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God owns it all, doesn't he? How does the Bible begin? God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
God owns it all. That's who we worship. That's who we acknowledge here this morning. We worship the King of Kings, don't we? We worship the Lord of Lords. Let's lift up our voice in prayer and praise to Him. Let's sing praises and hallelujahs to Him. Why? Because He's the only one worthy. There is none other on this earth that's worthy of the praises of men than Jesus Christ. Brother Williams, if you've got a song.